0: Welcome to the SCORE Life and Health Innovation Podcast, where we explore how innovation is driving change around the world in our life and health ecosystem. I'm David Ferguson and I'm hosting today's session. Our world is changing rapidly and we want to come together with you to explore those changes and embrace transformation with SCORE. As one of the world's largest reinsurers, SCORE provides insurance companies with diverse and innovative solutions focused on the art and science of risk. Combining technical expertise and experience, SCORE leverages global know-how in over 80 countries focused on the life and health insurance industry. Good morning and welcome to SCORE's Life and Health Innovation Podcast. I'm David Ferguson. Underwriting Development Manager in one of SCORE's innovation teams. Today, my guest is Professor Stephen Smith, Co-Founder and Director of MD, and Professor of Electronic Engineering in the Department of Electronics at University of York. Stephen, good morning. Could I ask you to give a brief introduction to yourself?
1: Yes, good morning, David, and thanks very much for inviting me to this podcast. Um, I'm currently responsible for research within the Department of Electronic Engineering at the University of York. And I have a special interest in translation of the research to get it into a forum where it can be used and and can be most beneficial, um, particularly medical applications. So actually, my first degree is in computer science, but even since I was an undergraduate, my works and my research and project work was always related to solving problems in healthcare. So I've been working with hospitals for for many years, and this has developed into a specialisation into neurodegenerative conditions such as Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, and another whole group of conditions that are less well known. But I suppose the most important aspect of the work is the machine learning that we've developed over the years. Um, It's a biologically inspired computation and it's what we call white box machine learning. And this is because once we've achieved a solution it can describe that solution as a discrete mathematical expression. So this means that we can show exactly how patient data was used to arrive at a diagnosis, for example, which is obviously important for verification and confirmation of the
0: condition. Sure. And that's really interesting in, in the UK market in particular, from where I'm speaking, we offer critical illness uh, insurance product products, which cover both of those conditions. Uh, and so that's really a key development in healthcare, I think, helping patients to be able to better understand their conditions and to target the right therapies and care for those patients uh, with those conditions. But I just wondered if you could tell me more about the particular issues and problems with misdiagnosis in Parkinson's disease and how the development of Clear Skies technology seeks to address this. You've mentioned a little bit about white box uh, technology there. Could you expand on that perhaps a little bit for us?
1: Yes, certainly. So there are two main problems with Parkinson's that the clinical collaborators that we've worked with at Leeds General Infirmary and other universities and other hospitals throughout the country and worldwide, in, in fact. So the two main problems or the two main challenges, I should say, with managing people with Parkinson's, one is diagnosis and the second is the management of their medication. So let's take the first of those diagnoses. So it's widely accepted that 25%, that's one in four people who've been told they have Parkinson's, do not have Parkinson's. They have probably a related neurodegenerative condition. And actually getting the diagnosis is obviously really important because the medication or the treatment and other interventions for these conditions can be very different so for example for parkinsons a common treatment would be artificial dopamine whereas other conditions such as dystonia or multiple system atrophy may well have very different types of medication programs so to be fair although uh, misdiagnosis is one in four this is often resolved after a year or so typically 12 to 18 months but we can do a lot more to get a more accurate um, diagnosis earlier on. And of course, that is very important from a reassurance point of view. So one of our main areas of work is actually developing an objective assessment of Parkinson's. And we provide further information to help the health professionals come to a better informed diagnosis. So that's the first of the The real challenges. The second one is for people who we know have Parkinson's and are currently under treatment. The medications available are very good for the first five years or so. People with Parkinson's can expect very good quality of life. But after that time, the medications become less effective. And yet it's very difficult for health professionals to really understand the best combination of what is actually quite a large cocktail of drugs to achieve the the best quality of life for the individual. And so uh, the second of our projects and uh, one of the second of our devices is really a monitoring system where people can be monitored for a period of 24 to 48 hours to really understand how they react to the medication, to find the side effects, which can be really quite unpleasant and really affect the quality of life and provide again, the specialist with a time chart, which enables them to understand when the side effects occur to the particular medication, and to really then readjust that medication regime to to improve the situation for the patient.
0: That's really uh, interesting, Stephen, thank you. And it's interesting that you, know, you have a misdiagnosis or a problem with diagnosis in one in four. And I know that from our own market perspective, you know, Parkinson's disease makes up a very small proportion of critical illness product claims. But of course, when you're talking about uh, the problems of adjusting treatments to some of the more distressing side effects, then in many of our different markets and across the industry, the policies cover income protection or replacement of income when, when a patient is disabled. So you can really see how clear skies approach and technology can address some of those issues and help people to live in a better way, I guess, in terms of managing their conditions and and just to be able to Manage their condition and their symptoms uh, for their own benefit, and I think really we're passionate at SCORE about being able to achieve that better outcome for patients and helping them to uh, achieve a better balance. Really, so thank you for that insight. You mentioned briefly in your answer there a moment ago that you were working with Leeds Infirmary and others, and I wondered if you could just expand, if you can, tell me more about the extent of Clear Skies work in the UK generally, as well as just in, not just in Leeds but in other centres and elsewhere. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about the work done outside of the UK, if you wouldn't mind spending some time on that?
1: No, uh, absolutely. So ClearSky currently has two products, uh, one for each of those challenges with Parkinson's that I mentioned just now. Uh, one is PD Monitor to assist in the diagnosis and the monitoring of people with Parkinson's. And the second is what we call LID monitor. And LID is short for levodopa-induced dyskinesia, this side effect that people experience when they have too much medication. And so both of those devices are CE marked they got regulatory approval. And we are currently using LID with hospitals in the UK, uh, Leeds, and we've, we've run it also in Harrogate. And, but There are also interesting markets overseas. So in China, for example, it's well accepted that by 2030, 4.9 million people will present with Parkinson's. And that will that count for pretty much half of everybody within the world who will present with Parkinson's uh, by that time. And it's a huge challenge in these overseas markets like China, because it's really about providing people in remote areas. And rural areas with access to healthcare, and so if they can use one of these monitoring devices, it's wearable, and then the data can be sent back to where a specialist is able to review that data. Then there's a lot of opportunity for providing access to healthcare for 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 these people.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really important point because more and more we're seeing in in different territories, you know, health services really being stretched. And I know that that's a problem here in the UK where access to face-to-face treatments is something of an issue. And I think if there's a mechanism for for doing this and, and by which patients can be monitored remotely and then have less frequent follow-up perhaps uh, at a time when they really need it, it's a really key development. So thank you for sharing that. I think we've alluded to it a little bit in the previous questions, but um, I was referring earlier to critical illness products, specifically providing cover for Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's. And I also mentioned products such as income protection and long-term care, of course, as well in different markets where, where score writes business ensuring individuals against disability and the possibility of ever needing care in the future so there seems to be real value from my point of view in being able to diagnose you can these conditions and to really target appropriate th- treatments and therapies so do you agree do you feel there, there could be a place for scare, clear skies technology to work with the health insurance industry a little bit more can you explain perhaps your own insights as to how you could see that working beyond what you're already doing, of course, in the specific healthcare sector. I'm more thinking about, you know, in the healthcare and perhaps the provision of insurance-based products. Could you expand on that a little bit for me?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely, David. And I think this is a really important point, actually, because this is the way that things are definitely moving. I think people understand and they accept that the current models of healthcare provision through conventional hospitals are probably not sustainable. And so a lot of research is moving towards patient centred care within their own homes, removing the need to attend hospitals so much, uh, which, of course, can be difficult and time consuming and expensive. But I think that then leads on to uh, an even bigger question, and that is how can we provide the most effective interventions tailored against the specific patient needs at the right time? So we've been doing some work with Maastricht University on understanding the patient trajectories through conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, so we can understand better what we predict each person is going to experience at different times within their life. And this has a huge impact, therefore, on how we provide this healthcare, or indeed health insurance. So really, I think the real vision for the future is that rather than, for example, necessarily having a large payout on diagnosis, which isn't actually the time that a lot of these people are going to need that financial support. as I mentioned, somebody with Parkinson's can expect very good quality of life for a good five years or so. And so what we're working towards, I believe, is identifying when patients, when people need the support they need, and then have the financial support to be able to provide that care. And it's more than in medication interventions, it's more than that. It's really the whole package. It's about what sort of care is going to be required, how this will be expected to translate in the future. And so I think there's a better model that we can work towards, really combining the research and the medical technologies, but also with insurance policies that in really provide a better care for the patient or or for the policyholder over the longer term.
0: Yeah, I agree, Stephen, and I think that's a great insight there. I think in in many different markets, there's often an observation and perhaps even a criticism that some of these payouts from insurance policies are perhaps too much of a windfall element and there isn't the right provision at the right time. And I know when we talk about life insurance and, and critical illness insurance, they are indeed just that, their lump sum payouts. But I think you're seeing more emphasis even on some of the lump sum payments uh, to focus more on targeted payouts at the time of need. So for example, stepping away from the neurological sphere for a second, when someone has a major cancer diagnosis, perhaps there's an argument to pay a proportion of the sum assured or the benefit at that time. And then to target the other payments at the time that person might need intervention as surgery or chemotherapy or radiotherapy or protracted or lengthy follow up. So I think you've uh, really established something here in terms of targeting the right therapy to the patients at the right time and making sure that actually the intervention is meaningful and also placing some of that care or some of that follow up back with the patient so that, as you mentioned, resources aren't so stretched in the healthcare sector and it seems to be a much more A sustainable model uh, with the way things are going at the moment. So, so thank you for sharing that. I wondered if you could then perhaps tell me a little bit more about your latest development, which as I understand it is a device to assess mild cognitive impairment and potentially help discriminate uh, it from depression and vascular dementia, as well as your plans for the for the next few months.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is a really exciting development. So all of our technologies, they rely upon commercially available wearables or other sensors. And so as I mentioned before, really, our, our real interest is in the white box machine learning and how this can be used to provide more objective assessment of the patient's condition. So some of the early uh, work we're doing was to, we were able to determine people with Parkinson's who then go on to develop some cognitive impairment. And this is probably less well known, but actually it's a common occurrence is that people who live long enough with Parkinson's will start to develop other cognitive issues. And we're able to identify this just from, again, measuring movements. So we've now developed or are developing further uh, a new device, which we call MCI Monitor. And this is really aimed at mild cognitive impairment, as you say, David, as a precursor to Alzheimer's, as really a way also hopefully of helping health professionals discriminate between depression vascular dementia and Alzheimer's, which can often be very confusing from the symptoms that have been prevented. So yes, we're working on this at the moment. It's again a joint work between uh, Clear Sky Medical Diagnostics and the University of York and
0: our overseas partners. Excellent. That's really interesting and thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to perhaps take a little bit of time before we move on and close out today to just ask you about your kind of thoughts on you mentioned the the white box approach and I know Stephen when we had our initial conversations back perhaps in 2019 2020 you talked about the development of evolutionary algorithms in healthcare. can you perhaps give your view you may not have thought of this outside of the your current level of engagement in the Alzheimer's and, and Parkinson's field but can you can you tell me a little bit about whether you think there's a to other medical conditions, outside of perhaps neurological conditions, is that something that is that an approach that's common in the healthcare industry? Perhaps is that a fair question?
1: No, yes. and again, yeah, you know, it's a really topical question actually, David, because we've always worked with what we call white box machine learning. Because as I mentioned earlier, it means it's a lot easier to understand how the movements we're observing in the patient lead to a specific uh, classification yes. or, or diagnosis. And what I'm seeing at the moment is there's a lot of interest in machine learning. It's very common you see and hear about it all the time. Most of this tends to be deep neural networks, convolutional neural networks, which we call black box machine learning. And these are very effective, but they have two characteristics. One is they require a lot of data to be very accurate. And within the medical field, getting a lot of data from a lot of patients is often a challenge. And secondly, when it comes to verify these algorithms for use in medical devices and achieving the regulatory approval for those medical devices, using black box machine learning is more of a challenge. What we are starting to see now is that more people are turning towards what are often known as evolutionary type approaches in which are more interpretable to help a better understanding. They, they work better with smaller amounts of data. And they certainly help in terms of obtaining the NSA regulatory approvals.
0: Yeah. And I guess also you're seeing many more health professionals and healthcare trusts, and mentioned a few different centres there adopting this approach. Can you give maybe a view on how you think that could also transform? GP based care because as you know after the Covid pandemic it becomes even more difficult to perhaps get a face-to-face appointment. Can you see any application there even directly into GP surgeries using some of this technology? I think it will and it's happening
1: very rapidly now. There was quite a resistance pre-pandemic but I think what was interesting was that because face-to-face meetings were were becoming, consultations were becoming very difficult, that it's really enabled people to try out these types of online, these remote sensing opportunities. So I think we're seeing an acceleration in that way. But again, yeah. I think it will come down to being able to verify what we're seeing. And of course, Verification is very important because we want to make sure that we're getting things right. But also, quite rightly, there's going to be significant
0: uh, regulatory approval issues as well. Sure, of course. You can see perhaps a little bit of a change across the healthcare sector and in GP surgeries. There are now starting many surgeries in this market in the UK are starting to embrace the use of technology and you know using electronic health records and I can certainly see some moves towards embracing that technology and innovating because that's really what I think the future is in terms of putting the care back in the hands of the patient really to better understand their condition and relieve that stress for face-to-face consultations until, unless and until they're absolutely necessary given the distress that that can cause patients as well so you know that's a, a great insight from you today Stephen and thank you very much for that. I think also, just before we finish, just wanted to ask a little bit more about your plans for the next few months. I know you've got many different interests in many different parts of the world. Is that going to involve a little bit of uh, travel to some of those centres to work with some of those health professionals?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, the the last few years have been frustrating for everybody. We've all had plans that have had to be rescheduled. So yes, the very exciting thing actually is in Australasia. So there's a lot of interest in our products within both Australia, Tasmania, and in New Zealand. And this is a new geographical uh, area for us, but something we're looking forward to. The other important development as well is the use of our PD monitor in supporting clinical trials. So this was used to support really repurposed drugs, which are thought to have neuroprotective properties. So there's one that was called PD-STAT, which really looking at statin, in statin as a possible neuroprotective okay. treatment. That, unfortunately, was futile. But it was interesting that it really did show that conventional approaches to assessing conditions such as Parkinson's, the subjective nature of them can make them unreliable. And so there really is a future for more objective techniques. And currently we're supporting two other clinical trials, uh, one known as azaPD as, as a thiobrine, the University of Cambridge, and one as uh, Xenotide and a glucan-like peptide, one receptor agonist, uh, and that's with University College London as okay. well. So, So we've got a lot on at the moment, but we're always looking to work with other partners. But also I think as we mentioned earlier, to go back to one of the most important themes, and that is how we can use this technology with the support that we see through the insurance, reinsurance companies to provide a better quality of care, better quality of life uh, for people as they progress through
0: their lives. Absolutely. And even though in our own particular region, the, as I mentioned, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's do not make up a significant proportion of critical illness claims. It remains the case that the industry here supports many customers through the provision of income protection and disability products. And I know that in other regions, as I've mentioned before, in score markets, disability products and long-term care feature highly. So there is growing interest in the development of this technology to better manage patient health care and just provide better outcomes and better quality of life. And I know you and I, Stephen, have had conversations outside of this around other conditions such as diabetes. I know you've got interest in many different conditions and improving the outcome for patients. So I am sure that our conversations will continue, but we're just about out of time. I just want to thank you very much for taking the time today from your busy schedule. It has been an absolute pleasure and many thanks for helping to bring new technologies to, to healthcare and really driving new thinking and innovation into the healthcare sector. Thank you.
1: No, uh, thank you very much,
0: David, as well. And I've
1: always enjoyed working score. school. And I think it's important really just to revisit what you said. The, these types of technologies are easily translatable and transferable. So, you know, where we can measure movement, we can use white box machine learning. Um, there are many other areas that I'm sure have great potential. Thank you very much for joining and goodbye.
0: Thank you. Bye.